Well, I found my way to a blog site this week that invited people to answer the question, what's the best gift you've ever received? And some of the responses were pretty fun. They, they, they could answer the question, then people could even respond back and forth to them. But I thought I'd share some of those with you because we're in this series, Dangerous Generosity, and today we're going to focus on how God is dangerously generous. By the way, you might say, when God's generous, how in the world is that dangerous? It's not dangerous to those who are following him. It's very dangerous to those who oppose him. The more generous God is to those who follow him, the more dangerous, the more threatening that generosity is to all the values and all the systems that oppose his goodness and the kindness. Is that, in that sense, it's a dangerous generosity in a good way, right? So I'm reading this site and looking at some of these responses, and they were fun, and then they got pretty powerful, actually pretty tender. This is one that I'm sure um, Pastor Ben put up, actually. It says, no gift has made me happier than my Johnny Thunder Egypt Lego set. So Ben, I want to thank you for putting that up there. and Best gift I ever received. There's these parents that wrote about a gift their children had given them. Apparently these folks liked to adopt uh, dogs from the shelter, rescued dogs. They had like eight of them or something like that. It said this broader story, but apparently the kids gave them one. There was one dog they loved in particular, but they could not tell for the life of them the pedigree of this dog. He was, dog was a mix. So I don't know, you could even do this. The parents bought a doggy DNA test. I mean, the, the children bought a doggy DNA test and gave it to the parents, said, here's a doggy DNA test, and you'll be able to tell the pedigree of your rescued dog, Fido. Isn't that cool? I'd be nervous about me taking that doggy DNA test and finding out my pedigree. Somebody wrote, unlimited free education from my grandpa. That's a great gift. And then at the end of it, they said, by the way, his funeral is tomorrow. So we're really thinking about grandpa and thanking him for that education. Best gift you've ever received. This one's a little longer, but listen to this. One Christmas, times were lean for me and the family. I was recently out of work and really had no way of getting the kids anything decent for Christmas. Out of the blue, this guy shows up on my doorstep, confirms my name, and hands me a gift bag and a garbage bag full of wrapped toys, even a couple of things for me and the missus. Also a $200 gift card to Fred Meyer. Fred Meyer's a chain up in Pacific Northwest. To this day, I don't know who my secret angel was, but it was just the best gift ever. Could you imagine the amazing experience of that? Best gift you've ever received. Somebody received. Somebody simply wrote, a kidney from my dad. Somebody else wrote, a dad. Another response. The flag that was on my grandfather's casket his Army Air Corps ring, and a framed picture of him. It meant so much more to me than a video game, console, or an iPod. Another response, a child, because we thought conceiving would be impossible. That's a great gift. I guess existence is a pretty nice present from my parents, well said. Somebody wrote, the best gift I've ever received Failure. 
I tried to end my life. Had I succeeded, I never would have met my boyfriend of four years, adopted my puppy, or changed things for the better. I live a marginally better life now, and failure was the best thing that ever happened to me. And finally, somebody else wrote, best gift I've ever received. Life, maybe? I mean, under all the circumstances of my being born, I should be like a dumpster baby or something. There's got to be a reason I'm not dead yet, right? Get the people thinking about the great gifts, the great gift givers. And those are some examples of pretty generous giving. Pretty good gifts. Matthew 7 reminds us that when we start thinking about the great gifts we've received and the great givers in our lives, God is certainly in the mix. He knows how to give good gifts. Matthew 7, verse 9, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, this is Jesus speaking, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are relatively evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask of him? We were in, in prayer this morning, and I was thinking about this. Like Every once in a while I'm praying, and I have this thought. Man, Greco, all you ever do is come to God and ask, 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 ask. Give the guy a break, you know. And then I remember that if all the people in the world asked him for something at the very same time he would not be taxed by the request. And I remember Jesus saying, you have not because you ask not. Ask me and see if I don't bless you. And I begin to wonder, man, what if us asking independence for good gifts from God are like his favorite moments? Because he looks at a child and says, aha, you're admitting your dependence. You're admitting that you need me. You're admitting that you cherish me. And I had to quit thinking those kinds of thoughts. Like, quit asking all the time. Because, I mean, after all, what in the world can I give him except a pretty shattered, broken life? And he can give so much. He's such a good giver of good gifts. He, he gives all sorts of great gifts. We have from God as a gift the beauty of creation. We have mountainsides that put Crayola boxes to shame in the colors they give and sunsets that are gorgeous. You're just captivated by them. God gives us the gift of excellent comrades, excellent people to the world and our own versions of excellent people and friends in our own lives. And he gives us the gift of himself and the gift of hope by offering himself. The fingerprints of God's generosity are all around us in some of these measurable ways. If we were to answer the question, what are the greatest gifts God has given you? What are the greatest gifts you've known from him in your life? We would mention some of these things, the things we see, the people we know, the experiences we've had, the rescuings that we've known in our own lives. But two of the greatest reasons to recognize God as a good giver of gifts are found in today's text, the text that we read from John chapter 1. And we're going to focus on those. There are things that we take for granted, things that we forget, basic 
things, but reminders of the footprints of a very dangerously generous God. The first is this, the reminder today that God, through his son Jesus, gives us the gift of life. God's responsible for the fact that we have life. We know that. You're saying, okay, well, tell us something we didn't already know. This is something we forget. This is something that we need to reestablish in our minds as precious and good and great and amazing. God gives us life. Jesus is our very generous source. Colossians reminds us of that. So the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Uh, sorry, guys, on the slides I jumped a verse because I wanted to show you, first of all, John chapter 1 to remind you of what I've already read. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And the Colossians reminds us of that. Hebrews also reminds us of that. It's all uh, different ways of saying some of what John was saying or in, in, in ended up saying in John chapter 1 when he wrote his gospel. Hebrews 1, in the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and then this, and through him the Son, through whom he also made the universe. So you have Jesus responsible for everything that was created. Nothing was made that was made. Nothing was made except through him. The redundancy of it to make sure that the point is taken. And in the beginning, uh, as John starts in his gospel, it's parallel language. It's hard to miss it. Parallel to Genesis. In the beginning, God. In John, in the beginning was the word. The word was God. See the parallel there? It has the sense of this, of saying it like this, like, when the beginning began, the Word, Jesus, was already there. When the downbeat happened, he's the one that held the baton. He didn't have a beginning, but when our beginning began, the one who caused our beginning was already there. He's our source. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Here's the sense of that. The Word was like face-to-face -face with God. You have God the Father and God the Son face-to-face. -face. Don't try to comprehend this. We're lineal. We think there has to be a beginning and a cause and an effect, and those are good, healthy ways to think. But this is beyond our thinking. But the Bible is saying, however it makes sense, Jesus launched everything that was launched. He is the source of everything. He gives us Life, all creation was sculpted by Jesus. And life-giving breath came from Jesus. Look at Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Genesis 1 introduces the creation account. And then Genesis 2 goes in, it reiterates, but it goes into more detail. Genesis 1, God said, let us make mankind in our image, or humankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals 
and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Created. And then in Genesis 2, more specificity. The Lord God formed a male from the dust of the ground and breathed life into his nostrils, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. It's got to be figurative in some sense, but literal in some sense too. And that man became a living being. So you have God crafting a body that is a wonderful, beautiful creation, but it's sort of an avatar. And he picks up that crafted head, holding it just beneath the ears, and mouth to mouth, breathes life in. <sighs> you ever think about, this is maybe why I, I go crazy sometimes, I think, you know, there are there ought to be a long extension cord behind me. I'm plugged in. So where do I get, how do we have energy? Because we eat food. And, come on, man. I mean, when do the batteries run out? Like in 75 or 80 years. But what causes all of that? What is it? There's a mystery here. I mean, how are we generating energy? What causes humor? What is humor? What makes us think something is funny? What makes us think something is beautiful? What makes us think something passionately? Makes us think passionately about anything? Where do feelings come from? Where does conscience come from? There's this breath of life that is somehow divine, that was distributed to every single human being. Jesus, as source of life, gives us the gift of life. You know what that means, among other things? That even on your worst, most self-loathing, despicable day, there is image of God in you. Somewhere buried deep down there beneath all of the feces of life that we pile onto ourselves and choose for ourselves. This beautiful, spectacular, divine seed is in us because Jesus put it there and gave us life. And it means that in the person you loathe the most, person you dislike the most, person you have the toughest time loving. If you see them through the lenses of Christ, even in the most evil person to ever enter human history, there is a divine potential. There is a divine peace because God gave them life as well. Some people just stain it more than others. God gives the gift of life. I love the reminder my urban friends give me when they pray. I've done a lot of ministry with folks who live in dangerous settings. And whenever we're gathering, 80% of the time they pray, they start their prayer with some version of this, my urban friends. God, thank you for waking me up this morning and putting breath in my lungs this morning, and I'm reminded, oh my, they live with a much different awareness of the gift of life than I do. Isn't that true when life is threatened or life ends? For someone that's dear to us, we remember, oh yeah, Whew, this, 
thing I took for granted is a gift from a dangerously generous God. He is our source. Jesus created us and then picked our limp bodies up and said in some version of it, and we walked. That's a fingerprint of a gift-giving God. Second point and the final point is this, that God gives us life. He's the source of our life. But he doesn't just give us life, drop us off like, you know, some kid at their first camp. Mom and dad drop you off and they wave goodbye and they drive away. (laughs) God not only gives us life, he gives us light, the text says. He shows us the way. He says, here's your life and here's how you live it. Here's how you turn life into abundant life. He gives us light as well, lights our way. In him was life, and that life was the light of all humankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. And then the reference to John coming to get people ready for the ultimate light, as a witness to the light. In verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Gives light to everyone. Picture this. My, My My dad and my brother and a couple of friends of ours from Colorado used to take hunting trips. I know that's not cool with some of you, but I liked it. Trust me, I'm a terrible shot. All the animals were safe. (laughs) I mean, the the elk would jump up and say, please aim at me, you know. (laughs) We would take these trips, and one day we went too far back into the mountains uh, to get out in time before dark, and darkness in the mountains is dark. Mountains of Colorado, and overcast too in Colorado. And so we're way miles from our camp, and it is so dark we can't see the trail. I could not see the horse that was behind me that I was leading, and I had to get about this close before I could see that horse. It was almost like pitch perfect black. We had one flashlight. I was not a Boy Scout, I did not come prepared. We had one flashlight, and my dad was at the, there were like four or five of us, and my dad was up front. And what he would do was he would shine the light on the trail. We couldn't even see the trail. He would shine the light on the trail, and then he'd shine it back a little bit so I could see, and the rest of us could see. And then you just try to follow the person in front of you as closely as you could. But there was a real risk of stumbling and falling or going the wrong direction, unless there was light. The light showed us the way. It showed us how to get home. Jesus comes and he says, here's life, give it to you as a gift. And here's light. Here's the trail right here. How did he do that? By living that life. And then he said, look at me, do what I do, love what I love, value what I value, live like I lived. That's the way. That's the way to make life abundant life. Sermon on the Mount is where he taught it in a nutshell, in a package. Darkness did not overcome the light. Some of your Bibles will translate that. He came into the world, he came to the darkness, and the darkness did not understand it, not comprehend it. And the same word can be translated either comprehend or overcome. 
John almost always uses that word to convey the idea of overcoming. Probably that's the right translation here. The, dark, the light came into the darkness and it confronted the darkness. Light always confronts darkness. Darkness never wins over light. Have you ever noticed that? You take your flashlight in the closet, darkness doesn't win that. You have to turn it off for the darkness to win. Darkness did not overcome it, which is encouraging to me because I think, I got that divine seed in me. I'm following Jesus, trying to be more like Jesus every day, as Michael reminded us earlier. And even on my most melancholy days, because I'm melancholy, I'm, I'm prone to depression. <laughs> on my most melancholy days, the truth is, you know what? The light wins. The darkness does not overcome the light. It feels like it sometimes, doesn't it? But it doesn't win. The light wins. I practice this. I say to myself, it's real practical. I'm a pragmatist. I get some kind of a crummy feeling. Like I, I have these dreams about my grandson that wake me up. I'm just, I'm sweating. And my kids and my grandson, I have these terrible oppressive dreams that something terrible happens to them. And Oh, man, one more person to love is also one more person to have to protect. You know, how would I survive if something happened to one of my kids? Or, you know, just going these crazy roads, down these crazy roads that are dark. There's nothing good about I I say to those feelings, I'm not listening to you. I'm paralleling you. That's the language I use. I'm going to parallel you. You do what you're going to do. You're still there, but I'm not listening. I'm, I'm paralleling you, and here's what's true. And I began to practice what's true. Why is that? Because I'm encouraged by the fact that the darkness does not overwhelm the light. I have to give away that power for the darkness to overwhelm the light. Does that make sense? What a gift. I didn't just give you life and drop you off. I gave you life and showed you how to live it. I shined light on the trail for you. Here's how you live like Jesus. The Word became flesh, but it was not overpowered by the forces of darkness. He leads us. He guides us through darkness to deliverance. You know the Lord's Prayer? Lord, lead me not into temptation, but what? Deliver me from evil. That's a good way to pray. I'm going to be tempted. Let's go there together if I'm tempted. Walk with me through it and land me on the platform of deliverance. That's where you are my deliverer. Let's go there together, though, Lord. Don't lead me to temptation and then drop me off. Say, see you in a week. If I'm going to go there, go there with me. When I'm tempted, walk beside me and keep leading me, shining the light right through all of that, to the place of deliverance. You're my deliverer. Delivering me safe and sound. That's a gift from a dangerously generous God. He gives us life and he gives us light. This Advent changes everything. It makes all we dream of being as human beings a distinct possibility. And you know what's even better? It makes all God dreams of us being as human beings a distinct possibility a distinct probability. Following Jesus, a guarantee. Not just all I dream of being as a human being, as a man, but when God looks and says, this is what I dream of for you, John. This is what I dream of for you, Art. 
that can, Avery, that can happen. He provides the gift of light. He's the author of true insight. He causes things to make sense even when they don't feel all that great. He is the difference between being alive and truly living. God's purpose and agenda shown in Jesus are our hope. His generosity is shown in that he himself came down to show us how to live, gave us light, not just through rhetoric, but through presence, through example, what we experience in the communion today. Giver of life and the giver of the light it takes to live it well. That is a dangerously generous God. That's the best gift ever. I want to finish this message by reading from Psalm 33. It talks a lot about the character of God, the creative power of God, the light-giving leadership of God. And I didn't create a slide with this, and I didn't do that on purpose. I did that left it off on purpose because I want you to just listen. Close your eyes if you want to do that. Listen to what's true about this generous God. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It's fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. He loves righteousness and justice, and the earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. As the waters of the sea into jars, imagine that. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. Hallowed be thy name. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all humankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance, despite all its great strength. It cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, who reverence him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. His unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord, he is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name.
May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. The most dangerously generous force of all. He gives us life and he gives us light. He is indeed a generous God.